Hey guys, thanks for checking out our Big 12 radio show. We flip it into a podcast and hope you're enjoying it. Please leave us a rating, review, subscribe. It helps us out a ton. And I'll send you a free koozie, Heartland College Sports koozie, if you leave a rating and review and email it to me, a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Well, we officially have the quotes of the year in the Big 12, at least to date. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Really appreciate you being a part of the show and uh, checking us out. And also, if you haven't yet, please go sign up for our Big 12 forums. Uh, They are free of charge, a chance to interact with other Big 12 fans and get us uh, all itching to get to college football season. So, Uh, The quote from Gordon G., who's the West Virginia president, is as good as it gets. First off, if you'd missed the news late last week, the Big 12 is in very good shape financially. They have distributed $38.8 million to each of their schools, up from $36.5 million last season. This is partially because both Oklahoma and Texas made New Year's Six Bowl, so the Big 12 got an additional $6 million in revenue. So good stuff all around, no complaints. But the quote from Gordon G. that was just fantastic was as follows. He said, quote, Money is not the most important thing, but it's certainly ahead of what's in second place. And I just love that because uh, there was a good article written by Chuck Carlton of the uh, Dallas Morning News, and and he talked about how, you know, Bob Bowlesby said it's not all about the money, and I'll get to that more here coming up. But let's not kid ourselves. The stability that the Big 12 has at the present time is in large part because of the money that is coming in. And because of the money that is coming in, this conference is as stable and as healthy and as cohesive as it's been, as you could say, a decade, maybe more than a decade, if you really think about it. And, and you think back to when some of the cracks in the foundation started for the Big 12 with the Nebraskas getting frustrated, uh, with the Texas A&Ms getting frustrated. You can go back 10 years to when that started. And the conference does not appear to have any of that right now, which is healthy, which is positive, and which is great for this conference's future. So uh, Bob Bowlesby tried to downplay a little bit of the monetary value of this, saying, quote, it's not about trying to run up the biggest number, meaning revenues. Bob, it is. Let's not kid ourselves. These college athletic departments care about the bottom line. And if you're a Big 12 school right now, you find yourself in as good a situation as any this side of the SEC and the Big Ten, which has you beat by a little bit. But remember this as well. This does not include the Tier 3 rights, meaning the Longhorn Network, which is getting $15 million per year from ESPN. And enjoy it while it lasts, Longhorn Network, because... Uh, I promise you, ESPN is going to nix that deal as soon as they can. I think it's in like 2030 or something like that. That deal will be kaput, to put it politely. But 
that does not include tier three rights. And every team's at least a couple million bucks there. Um, I think OU's in the you know five, six, seven range. And then Texas is up around $15 million for the Longhorn Network. So Texas is raking in just shy of $54 million in its TV rights. That is a massive number and more than any other school in America. I, th that's, that's the reality of what these numbers are. Now, Gordon G. has said that by the time the Big 12's TV contract with ESPN and Fox expires in 2024-2025, the revenue distribution could hit $44 to $45 million, up from the just shy of $39 million they've hit this year. That is incredible when you think about where this conference was. And while you look at the concerns this conference has had lately from expansion, thank goodness they did not expand. Seriously, thank goodness they did not expand. To a football title game, great idea to add that. Pulls in another $30 million. Make sure that a team like OU gets in the college football playoff each of the past two years. And now to a quasi-ish conference network that they have, uh, the Big 12 finds itself in as good a spot as you could have hoped for five or six years ago. And a lot of that is because of Bob Bowlesby. I know we rag on, well, I don't want to say rag on Bob Bowlesby, but, I, you know, he's kind of easy to goof on. He's not overly charismatic at times. Uh, he's better one-on-one. -on -one. He's not a great soundbite for the media. But you know what? He has steered this ship in the right direction. He has taken this thing, and he has solidified it, and he has made sure that this conference is as healthy as it's been in a very long time. And that's a, that's a kudos to him, but it's also a kudos to the presidents around the Big 12. Gordon G., who is now basically in charge of all the presidents uh, across the Big 12 conference, a much better fit than David Bourne for Oklahoma, who was always trying to look at it from his own perspective and say, well, what does this mean for OU? Maybe OU's going to leave the Big 12. We might threaten to leave because we're OU and, you know, and I love OU. But I hated how Bourne played that game where it was more about him and his school than it was about the conference. And Gordon G., who's been around the block, places like Vanderbilt, all over the country, he is as respected as it gets in the industry. And he's also at a school in West Virginia that knows, you know, it could easily be in the American Athletic Conference, making a few million bucks a year instead of the 38 and 39 million bucks a year. He has far more incentive to work across this conference and make sure all these schools, from the presidents to the athletic directors to everybody else, are on the same page. And that is what you need in these jobs. So I'm glad that G is kind of part of this whole thing now from a leadership perspective in the Big 12. It's great for the conference. And, you know, I, I hope this team of Bob Bowlesby uh, is around for a long time because, to his credit, he's done a good job. I want Bowlesby there in 2025 when these next rounds of the negotiations are going on. I want him to be part of that. I don't want to go back to the days of Dan Beebe, who was a disaster and a half, and you could single-handedly almost put the entire conference blowing up on the shoulders of Dan Beebe. I don't want that, and I know many fans don't want that. Because if the Big 12 ever were to blow up, guess what? OU gets taken care of. Texas gets taken care of. 
maybe they bring along Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, and then maybe probably KU gets taken care of, and maybe they drag along K-State. But if you're a TCU, if you're a Baylor fan, if you're a West Virginia fan, if you're an Iowa State fan, you do not, do not want to see this conference go anywhere. Now, this brings up something else that Bullsby talked about here um, in the wake of this great news that the Big 12 is bringing in $39 million bucks per team before Tier 3 rights that's just behind the SEC and the Big 10. Now, uh, Bullsby mentioned the Big 12, of course, has little control over media markets and population density. And that, of course, can add to revenue sometimes. But I would say this. Be cautious. Be careful what you wish for. Ask the Big Ten how much they enjoy having Rutgers in the conference, which was supposed to bring the mighty media market of New York City. The answer is, I have a feeling, I have a hunch that Jim Delaney, the Big Ten commissioner, and anybody else, you put a couple of drinks in them, and they would admit right away they regret like crazy having to add Rutgers. And it was Jim Delaney's idea because he wanted all the big media markets. Even though if you go to New York for 18 seconds, you'll realize nobody cares about Rutgers. And this is coming from somebody who you know, lived in New York for the past five years, working for Fox and CBS and other places. Now, of course, I'm in Kansas City. But no one cares about Rutgers. Rutgers graduates barely care about Rutgers athletics. Expanding into a media market for the sake of it does not make any sense. The best college sports market in America, college football in particular, is Birmingham, Alabama. You'll have over 50% of people in Birmingham watch Alabama football games. I'd rather, and I'm not saying expansion is coming anytime soon. I think the Big 12 is in great shape. And maybe something happens the next round of, you know, TV negotiations. I hope it doesn't. I love where this conference is right now. Round robin um, in football, double round robin in basketball. I love it all. But if you are going to have this conversation, don't worry about media markets. Worry about quality of the market over the quantity, how many people are in the market. The major media markets in this country do not care about college football. From New York to Los Angeles to uh, Chicago, you know, Chicago, maybe you get a little more into the uh, Big Ten territory there, just a hair. Uh, Philadelphia doesn't care. Boston doesn't care. You know, these places are not college football factories. So don't try to pigeonhole your way into them. It makes no sense to do it. So I would just I would just caution. I'm not saying Bowlesby is implying any of that, but he did note this past week that he talked about how the Big 12 has little control over media markets and population density. You've got a good stronghold in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, you have a stronghold in the Oklahoma City market, Kansas City market. I wish you still had Mizzou, but you still have a good situation there in the Kansas City market. I wish Houston was less SEC-based now than it is. Um, I wish that was more of a Big 12 stronghold, which is why two years ago I proposed the idea of if you were going to expand, I would try to lock down the state of Texas. That would mean adding Houston, and that would mean adding SMU. And I know some of you might think that's crazy, 
but that was the direction I was willing to go at that time if you forced me into extend, into expansion. Lock down the state of Texas and go about it that way. That's what I would have done. But once again, I'm glad that expansion was not ultimately the decision that the Big 12 came down to. So uh, it, it's a great week for the Big 12. It came down last Friday. It was a Friday news dump in many ways. So I just wanted to make sure if you're a Big 12 fan, you um, understand the importance of this, how big of a deal this is, and how healthy this conference is. Uh, and it continues to get healthier over the past few years as it gets back to where it was, you know, 10 plus years ago now, when it was arguably the premier conference in America. You know, don't forget, the SEC 15 years ago, yeah, you had Florida kind of making its run under Urban Meyer, but Alabama and Nick Saban were nowhere on the radar at that point. It was, it was the Big 12, and then maybe the Big 10, and then, uh, you know, factor in the SEC. I don't know if we're going back there, but I'll tell you what, this conference is in great shape. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Coming up, we've got some uh, kickoff times announced, and also maybe, just maybe, the site of our first Heartland College Sports tailgate of the 2019 season. We'll tell you what that could be coming up next here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Well, we've got some kickoff times announced across the Big 12 Conference. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. So OU has some uh, games announced, uh, kickoff time, 6.30 against Houston on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend. It's always a little awkward, that Sunday of Labor Day weekend game, but uh, I'm intrigued by it. It's in prime time. Two weeks later, they will have UCLA at 7 o'clock on the road, of course. And then, no shocker here, the Red River rivalry will kick off at 11 o'clock on October 12th. So not a stunner there in any way, shape, or form to be expected uh, with the early kickoff. So we don't have any of those uh, hooligans on either side of the aisle getting too hammered and uh, giving each other a hard time. So early kickoff there. Also, Iowa State, Iowa announced a kickoff at 3 o'clock. Now, I got to be honest, um, that is a game. I said this to Iowa State fans, and I've been saying it for months. I will be up in Ames at some point this fall. I promised you for many months I will. The game against the Hawkeyes is set for September 14th. It's a 3 o'clock kick. That works out very well for me. I'm based in Kansas City. I told them I couldn't do an 11 a.m. because I can't do a proper tailgate. You know, i got to leave at 4 in the morning to get there by a decent hour for a tailgate, and that's just not going to happen. So, uh, September 14th, 3 o'clock. That would allow me enough time to get down there, set up, have a little Heartland College Sports tailgate, and then, you know, still have time to have a good time, meet a bunch of fans, everything else. So, I'm not confirming it. I'm not. I'm just saying I'm eyeballing it, all right? There's a couple other games. I may want to make it more of a Big 12 thing, a uh, Big 12 game. Like, pick, I think, Oklahoma State. They've got uh, late September, early October. That might work out better. That way I could interact with Oklahoma State fans and Iowa State fans. But uh, something about that Cyclones-Hawkeyes game intrigues the hell out of me. I'd love to be a part of it. So I'm tentatively 
eyeing that one here as we get closer and closer to the season. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. We also have some lines, yes, some spreads that were announced for early in the college football season. Uh, I'll start with some Big 12 games here because that's what we care about. We have LSU opening up as a two-point favorite on the road against Texas. Not, not shocked. Maybe a little surprised, but not shocked. My hunch is that as we get to kick off on September 7th, that spread will have flipped. Or at least it'll be, it'll be a push. It'll be even. It'll be a pick em game. You know, typically the home team gets three points, right? So that means if this game were in Baton Rouge, LSU would be a five-point favorite. That feels a little more accurate, but that's because you'd be playing in the swamp. LSU is a tough place to play, everything else. But this game is in Austin. That fan base is going to be so jacked up. You know, when I went to the Texas game last year against West Virginia, I was not overly impressed. I'm going to be honest. I was not overly impressed with the uh, crowd because, you know, it had that little wine and cheese element to it, to be totally honest. And also because Austin is such a desirable place for everybody and anybody at this point across the country, there were a lot of people there who were just like, hey, I'm in Austin for a bachelor party. Let's go to a Texas football game. But they're not living and breathing and dying by the burnt orange. But I, I did notice that as the season went on last year, it appeared like the crowds and the fan base got more rabid. And Tom Herman, to his credit, has made a very important point to make sure that that place, that that stadium is a difficult place to play. He has made an effort to make it that way, to get rid of that kind of uh, wine and cheese element that it does have. So it, it, if it's ever going to be jazzed, especially for a non-conference game, uh, it's going to be one of this magnitude, LSU at, tax, at Texas on September 7th. little surprised by the spread, but I think that's just more SEC homerism than, uh, than anything else. Um, Georgia opening up as a 9.5-point favorite at Notre Dame. I'll give some thoughts on some of those games and whatnot here coming up in a few minutes. OU, 6.5-point favorite against Texas, of course, in the Red River rivalry. That does not surprise me in the least. Um, I, I think that, you know, you look at that game, and, and I get while Texas has the quarterback coming back, Oklahoma's bringing in a new guy. I still would say that at this point, Oklahoma should be a favorite. You want to argue that six and a half is too much? Okay, I, I could buy four or five at this point, but I'm definitely not surprised that OU is the favorite in this game. And that could be obviously a rematch of the Big 12 title game. In fact, it will be a... Uh, a preview in terms of what the preseason polls are like. I promise you, it's probably going to be OU Texas in the preseason polls for the Big 12. The question is, who could potentially crash that party? And that's where you get into the conversation of teams like uh, Baylor, like Iowa State. Uh, maybe a TCU works its way back into the mix. That's where that conversation then begins from there. So some other games across the uh, college football landscape. Poor Texas A&M opening up as a 17-and-a-half-point dog against Clemson. My, oh, my, those Aggies. You know, they just thought they'd leave the Big 12 and start rolling right through the SEC, and they would get out of Texas's shadow, and everybody would care about them, and they'd be winning conference championships and national championships. They stink. You know, Jimbo Fisher, I, God bless them, but, geez, there is no – 
team, there is no program in this country that I can't stand more than Texas A&M. And just the, the arrogance, the, the snottiness that reeks out of a program that has zero success to show for itself is un- it's, it's unfathomable when you think about it. To be that, uh, to, ha- to lack that much self-awareness to the point where you think you are a major player. Keep throwing money at stuff, and it, it just doesn't work for you. Texas a and I'm sorry, it doesn't. So I, I'm just, I'm really disappointed there that A&M is a 17.5-point favorite, and I hope you sense my sarcasm <laughs> rolling out on that. Alabama's opened up as a 16-point favorite against LSU on November 9th. What does that tell you? Tells you that Alabama, once again, going to be a favorite to get into the college football playoff, to win the national championship. No shocker there. Tua, if he leads him to a Heisman Trophy, to a national championship, to you know the number one pick in the NFL draft next year, which he probably already is the favorite to be. Um, I don't want to say ho-hum. I hope that uh, whether it's a Big 12 team, just somebody else gets into that national championship game outside of Alabama and Clemson, because I promise you, if we get to that point again, the ratings will start, and they already have started to go down in those national championship games, because you don't want the same thing over and over again. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm on an island here, but I don't want that same game over and over and over again. But you're starting to see how the season's going to shape up. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. We wrap up the show next. So in thinking back to the conversation that I was having with, uh, with Derek Duke earlier in the show and which coach he's most intrigued by in the Big 12 are the four new head coaches, Chris Kleiman, Les Miles, uh, Matt Wells, and then, of course, Neil Brown at West Virginia. I, I keep thinking this over the past month, and he's a guy that I've spoken with and talked to, but I have, and I am optimistic about him, I have no idea what Matt Wells is going to bring to the table. Not a damn clue. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a knock on the guy. I just, you know, I don't know what to make of the time at Utah State that had some ups and downs. I'm not there, obviously, in Lubbock to get a pulse of him and his style, admittedly. I'm not there. That's why I try to bring people on who do have that insight for you here on the show. But I I just don't know. Either this is going to be Chris Beard 2.0. And it's going to be back to the heydays of Mike Leach and Michael Crabtree and slinging it around, not literally that much, but uh, in terms of winning games and having that type of success. Or it's going to be like, wow, what a bad call this was by Kirby Hokut. I'm not predicting either or. I don't know. I'm optimistic. I feel good about it. But I just kept thinking about it the last few weeks, and it's like, you know, and we're not going to get the full answer, of course, this year. But it is fascinating to me to see how this unfolds with Matt Wells and the Texas Tech Red Raiders, not just this season, but moving forward. And the fact that Alan Bowman is there, the fact that he decided not to transfer, that's a great leg up. A great leg up uh, for a guy like Matt Wells as he starts his first job as the head coach of a Power 5 program. It's going to be very interesting. In the meantime, is that Texas hype already starting to build? The answer is yes. I will say this time it at least is somewhat warranted and understandable. So there's been a lot written here this time of year when writers across the country are looking for something to talk about. 
There was a headline with uh, Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports, and the headline was, Texas is back, dot, 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 to being confident, and that's good enough for Tom Herman right now. And then the um, underneath it said, the Longhorns are primed for a big year three under Herman if all comes together as expected. And the article goes through Sam Ellinger, who after, of course, they beat Georgia in that Sugar Bowl, uh, told Holly Road, told the nation, Longhorn Nation, we're back. And Tom Herman cited how he was kind of bothered by it. Uh, Herman said in the article, quote, I don't know that annoyed is the right word. I don't get it. I don't understand the definition because it's defined by other people. We define our success internally. Well, that's great that Tom Herman thinks that, and it's a very coachy answer. But here's the deal. you got to win at Texas. You know, nobody cares. I saw Texas tweeted over the weekend. They had the highest GPA of, uh, you know, any Texas team in X amount of years, whatever it might have been. I got to find it. I'll pull it up here for you really quickly because I thought it was interesting. Uh, More than football, highest semester GPA in team history, 2.89. That's great. But in the end, you know and I know, if Texas football coaches don't win, nobody cares how high your GPA is for the team. No one gives a rip. It's been that way since the beginning of time. Nothing is going to change on that front. But the hype train is building. At least it is fairly warranted, I'll say that. You know, they get to the Big 12 championship game last year. They have a nice bounce back. But I, I just wonder whether or not this is setting up Texas for a letdown season. And by that, I mean, if you go through the schedule last year, you know, they, they had that brutal loss again to Maryland. Hey, thank God Texas is not playing Maryland this year, right? I mean, that's a relief. <laughs> oh, geez, who thought I'd be saying that? But Texas is not playing Maryland this year. They lose that game. Then they go on to win uh, six straight games against Tulsa, USC, TCU, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Baylor, before that uh, tough loss against Oklahoma State on the road. Then they lost again to West Virginia the following week, and then they lost the Big 12 championship game. So those were the four losses on the season for Texas. But you look back on what last year was for Texas and and how it came about. I think that schedule-wise, Texas's run was easier last year because this year they've got to go to TCU, they've got to go to Baylor, and anytime you're Texas and you're going on the road to those other Texas schools who have the chip on their shoulder because they're a bunch of guys who are not recruited by Texas, that's always tricky. You have to go to West Virginia, who, yes, I know is in a rebuild, but making that road trip to Morgantown is never easy. You have to go to Iowa State. So, uh, you know, and, and Ames is becoming a very difficult place to play. So I think scheduling-wise, it's automatically a tougher road this year for Texas. And then, of course, the OU game is same time, same place, neutral site every year. Uh, And then your home games, you've got K-State, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and Kansas. That's an easier slate than what you had um, at home last season. So this is now flip-flopping for Texas. And it feels to me, while I still admittedly will pick them to be in the Big 12 championship game, I don't know who I'm picking to win the Big 12 yet. We still have time to figure that out. But I will pick them to be in the Big 12 championship game. I will say this. I can see where the letdown believers are kind of seeing the writing on the wall, connecting the dots and being like, are we doing this too quickly? Are we doing this too soon with Texas? Are we jumping back on this bandwagon? Uh, you know, a little too early. 
I'm not saying that's the case, but it's it's going to be an interesting storyline to follow. And now with those expectations sky high, and it seems like Tom Herman's trying to not not calm the expectations, but clearly uh, be like, guys, we had a good year. We got to build on that. Yes, we want to win a Big 12 title, but let's not talk national championships just yet, especially when you have LSU coming to town in what uh, early in the season in mid September. SEC schools are lifting the ban on alcohol scale, uh, alcohol sales, excuse me, allowing schools to decide on selling beer and wine at on-campus venues. How about that? So the Big 12, a lot of the schools in the Big 12 are now allowing alcohol sales. Uh, Texas does it. West Virginia does it. OU is going to be doing it. A couple others as well. Oklahoma State, I believe. So it's coming. And I told you it was coming because all these schools care about, or let's just put it this way, the biggest thing they care about is making money. But maybe the most uh, absurd thing I saw was that the Georgia Bulldogs are allowing alcohol sales, but the only way you can get alcohol is if you are, get this, a donor, not just any donor, a donor of $25,000. Yeah. But it gets even better. You can't bring the beer back to your seat, so you got to drink it in a designated area. But if you want to donate 25 Gs to Georgia, you could have a uh, have a Bud Light on them. Wow, what a uh, what a great group of guys that is! My goodness, how presumptuous could you be? Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week, same time, same place. HeartlandCollegeSports.com, your independent Big Twelve digital media outlet. Have a great week.